Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and the Culture. It's Wall Builders Live. Thanks for joining us today. It's Good News Friday. We've got a lot of good news coming your way. My name is Rick Green. I'm a former Texas legislator and America's Constitution coach, and I'm thrilled to be with you today and thrilled to be here with David and Tim Barton. David's America's premier historian and our founder at Wall Builders, and Tim Barton's a national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. You can find out more about all three of us right there at wallbuilderslive.com. That's our radio site. It'll tell you a little bit about us as, as hosts, but most importantly, it'll give you links to the previous programs from the last few weeks and months, give you a chance to catch up if you missed any of, uh, for instance, Good News Friday, like today, where we're going to have all these stories that will uh, encourage you because you'll see that the system works if we work the system. And then uh, you don't want to miss Thursdays either. Thursday, that's our Foundations of Freedom Day. That's a chance for you to ask questions. You can send those questions in by emailing radio at wallbuilders.com, and we do as many of those as we can each Thursday. And then Monday through Wednesday, we have interviews with guests that are on the front lines fighting for freedom all over the nation. And you can be a part of all of this by not only listening to the program, but donating at wallbuilderslive.com and also sharing the program. That makes you a force multiplier and helps us reach even more people. But I'm ready for some good news. I tell you, there's good news. There's good, the bad, the ugly. And, you know, sometimes our interviews, sometimes our, our, our things we talk about, we have to cover the bad and ugly, of course. But on Fridays, we love talking about the good news. All right, David and Tim, let's dive into that good news. I'm looking forward to this. David Barton, first piece of good news, sir. Well, there's been all this stuff going on at public libraries, uh, the drag queen children's hour kind of stuff where they're reading these these transgender books to, to kids, and you're having 20, 30, 40 show up, whatnot. Well, Kirk Cameron, our friend out in California, Christian guy, actor, Hollywood guy, had come out with his children's Bible storybook, and he wanted to read that at libraries, too. That's I mean, if, if everybody gets to read at libraries, I want in, too. And he was being turned down by libraries because of the content. Now, first off, I've got to say that's really ironic because libraries kept saying, no, we're not going to pull these books off our shelves when it was all this transgender stuff and was stuff that that was being, you know, parents were objecting to the content because their kids were getting it. And it was down on the shelves in the children's section. And they didn't think that was appropriate for their kids. And, and they said, hey, we're not book burners. We believe in free speech. We're not pulling these books out of the library until it comes to Christian Bible books, and then they're book burners somehow. No, 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 we don't want you in the library. We're not going to let you have this. We're not going to have any part of it. And I think that that the hypocrisy is is ironic in some ways, that they wouldn't let this happen. Now, Kurt threatened lawsuits and said, okay, you don't want to do it. Uh, This is a public library. It's tax-funded, and you got to have an open forum, and I'm going to sue on this. And, And let me just say just, you know, this is probably not a good sound bite, but I think everybody's a book burner at some level. I, I think the left, is, as liberal as they want to be, there's still certain books that they would not tolerate, would not let their kids see. And maybe it's the Bible is, is the book they would burn. I, I think everybody's got standards where that there's some something that offends them and something that they don't want to get behind and they don't want to support. So for libraries to take this high lofty position that, no, 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 we're totally for free speech, they're going to cut it off when they disagree with it. Well, and let's point out, too, it's one thing to say that we are in favor of free speech. Uh, and as you're pointing out, maybe there's some people like everybody has standards. And that's what you're saying. By saying you're book burners, everybody has standards. There are certain standards that violate uh, different individuals, taste, philosophy, whatever it is. 
But but even for us, I mean, we wouldn't say necessarily we're book burners, but certainly there's some content that and should not way, be. I, I choose that term because that's what they call us when we dis, when we object to certain books being available. They call us book burners, and, and I think they're as guilty of it as anything else. Well, right, and that's that's really the the appropriate conversation is to say that right that they're guilty of the things they're accusing us of, which is usually what happens when the left starts accusing somebody. Mm-hmm. They're guilty of the very thing they're accusing. But the reality you're you're describing is that there's a standard and you uphold the standard. And everybody has a standard and there's certain things that violate that standard and you don't want those things to be presented. And and even for us who, I mean, I don't know that I'd say I'm a free speech absolutist, but I certainly believe in free speech, but right. I believe there's responsibility and, and there's always consequences for actions. And so, right, I mean, you can go say whatever you want, whoever you want, but you might get punched in the mouth and that might be what you deserve for what you said to whoever you said it to, right? Like there's there's life and there's reality. It doesn't mean – one of the things we lose in this notion of even free speech is recognizing why we had free speech and where it came from. And and really the, the notion of free speech was that the government couldn't shut you down from your speech because it used to be back in the day of of these kings. And if you said something against the king, you could be executed, and they said, well, that, that's crazy. You should be able to say the king is wrong when the king is wrong without fear of imprisonment or or death. That was a notion of free speech. Now, with that being said, let's go back to this idea that there are certain ideas that we oppose. Well, specifically, right, we oppose the idea that we are going to sexualize children with some of these transgender, these drag queen story hours. That is evil. Absolutely evil. What is being promoted to these kids. And so the irony that you would have people that think this is appropriate to sexualize kids, but they shouldn't hear Bible stories. Like they, they shouldn't hear the story of Esther or Ruth or, or Gideon or Joshua. Like that is more offensive in their mind. That's crazy. But, but even for us, what I would say is it, it, it's not that we are against having a conversation about somebody that identifies as transgender and what that lifestyle is like. I would just say you shouldn't be having that with children, right? If somebody's 16, 17, 18 year old and you're having a mature conversation with them is totally different. Now, again, it would be different than drag queen story hour when they're doing these strip dances in front of children. That's totally different because now it's not even a conversation. We're not talking about books anymore. We're not talking about the this rational reason discussion. Anyway, all that being said, Dad, I think it's important to note the distinction that even with saying that we have standards, the standards that we have are not necessarily we should eliminate everything we disagree with. It's just that you should censor what certain people take in at certain ages, stages, and places of their life based on their ability to comprehend, to reason, to understand, etc. But that's totally different than what the other side is doing. They're saying, we don't care how old you are. You shouldn't allow this content because we disagree with it. Because usually, as you pointed out, like from the Bible, there's a moral code that says what we're doing is wrong and we don't like it. Therefore, get rid of that. That's what the other side tried to do. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And we've talked several times in the program Foundation of Freedom Thursdays, the Good News Fridays, et cetera. We are strong advocates of the First Amendment. And there's a lot of stuff said that we disagree with, and we're not about to stop people from saying that because they've got a right to say it, even if we think they're silly for saying it. But we've also drawn the line at behavior. Behavior is not the same as speech. I think that's where the Supreme Court got wrong in the Johnson decision back in 1972. They said burning the flag is free speech. No, no, no. You can stand all day long and advocate for burning the flag. But once you stick a match to it, that's not speech anymore. That's behavior. We've always been able to regulate behavior. That's that's what all laws are about is regulating behavior. So the court really kind of goofed it up where the speech becomes anything you believe and act out and live. And that's not the same thing. And so we we support laws. We support the First Amendment. So with all of that going back here, 
you had Kirk Cameron threaten to sue the, these libraries, and I think there were about 50 of them who said no to, to his, his tour, and, he, and he, he starts seeing these things. Okay, wait a minute, we'll let you in. And so it, it's been funny just even watching some of the stuff going back and forth in the news because I, I have one headline here that, that says 2,500 show up at, at a at public library in Indianapolis, which I think apparently had maybe originally told him no, and then he – threatens a lawsuit, and then 2,500 show up, which is, as they point out, that's more than any other group that's ever been there. And then the library comes back and says, well, you know, we counted about 750 outside, and our auditorium only holds 300. So don't think it's 25. Whatever it is, the deal is that Kirk is now being able to go into these public libraries. He's been able to read these Bible story books, and he's getting very large draws, very large crowds. I hope the folks in the library take note of that. Free market is a really good thing. Uh, you see what shows up for one side. You see what shows up for the other. Maybe you shouldn't be hostile to the side that pays most of your taxes, apparently, just by the way they show up. And let me throw out, this might be an idea for maybe some retired grandparents out there. And good I- oh, great idea. Right. Yeah, you, exactly. You want to find something to do? I-, I can just tell you, as a parent of two young children right now, the idea that we could have a place to take them and somebody could entertain them for me for 30 minutes or an hour, like I will drive <laughs> to meet you, right? Like I will find you. And, and so whether even a church hosted this, whether you go to the public library, this is something that practically speaking, and you know, how do you draw a crowd? Well, maybe you can put it out on a, a there are different counties and cities that will have a, a Facebook group, a Facebook chat, they'll have social media platforms and, and you can put it out there. Maybe you let some of the churches know you're doing something. And, and you know, every Tuesday, I'm going to be up there every Wednesday, whatever it is, you pick a day. And, and for some of these moms with young kids or, or homeschool families, there are things you can do like this that can make a difference. And for sure, you can do some wholesome, some great stories and books, and they could be Bible story books, or it could be other friendly appropriate books for kids, but there are things that that we can do to engage in culture. And this sure seems like an opportunity for some people out there who want to make a difference that you can, I I mean, I can just tell you as a kid, right? My grandparents reading to me, grandma reading to me, that was the best thing ever. I always want grandma to read to me. And now if somebody else's grandma wants to read to me, that's great too. So grandparents, if you're looking for something to do, you want to make a difference, maybe just find one of these libraries. You can go volunteer to read. You can host one of these story hours or even at your church, you could do it. But this is something that you probably can get involved with and make a difference. Good stuff, guys. Very good stuff. We've got more good news. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on Wobble. Have you noticed the vacuum of leadership in America? We're looking around for leaders of principle to step up, and too often, no one is there. God is raising up a generation of young leaders with a passion for impacting the world around them. They're crying out for the mentorship and leadership training they need. Patriot Academy was created to meet that need. Patriot Academy graduates now serve in state capitals around America, in the halls of Congress, in business, in the film industry, in the pulpit, in every area of the culture. They're leading effectively and impacting the world around them. Patriot Academy is now expanding across the nation, and now's your chance to experience this life-changing week that trains champions to change the world. Visit PatriotAcademy.com for dates and locations. Our core program is still for young leaders, 16 to 25 years old, but we also now have a citizen track for adults. So visit the website today to learn more. Help us fill the void of leadership in America. Join us in training champions to change the world at PatriotAcademy.com. Welcome back to Walbiters. Thanks for staying with us. It's Good News Friday, and Tim Barton's got the next piece of good news. Tim? 
All right, guys, this one is is kind of interestingly connected on some level as far as the cultural battle, but this one's from South Dakota. And the title of the article says, South Dakota Governor Nome terminates state contract with transgender group citing contractual violations. Now, as you read through the article, this was done by the Epic Times. Uh, it came out the end of last year. And apparently, the South Dakota State Department of Health uh, and a Sioux Falls-based transgender advocacy group, the Transformation Project, had a contract where this transgender group was going to do some classes, going to do some training on health, transgender kind of health for maybe rising generations so they can know how you can come out, how you can be transgender, what that looks like. And and so the, the ultimately the contract was terminated. It, it, what I'm seeing from the article, it looks like that uh, somebody in Governor Nome's office found out about this and they're like, what is happening? This is really bad. The opposite look bad because one of the one of the things that there's a few statements in there worth noting. One of them, Governor Nome's chief of communications told the Epic Times the contract was signed without Governor Nome's prior knowledge or approval. Okay. Well, well, the logical follow-up question they asked was, well, then who signed it? And this was done with the State Department of Health. How did she not? Because it's a big contract. How did she not know about it? And the communications director said, well, we, we can't answer that question right now. <laughs> so, right. Maybe. Maybe along the it, way. It couldn't be that there are other agendas moving within her administration, possibly. Couldn't be that. Right. So either somebody was like, hey, let's just be friends with everybody. This is innocuous. And then as some of the stink started coming out, some of these, you know, maybe drag shows, some of the stuff starts happening and people are now paying attention yeah. and there's now opposition politically. You're like, whoa, OK, I'm not looking for trouble because generally as a politician, you only are looking to stir up trouble when it benefits your side in significant ways. And to to stir up trouble when you're on the wrong side of the issue for your state, for where the people that support you come from, it's a major problem. And, and so with this, what's also kind of interesting along the way is the Transformation Project on their website, they describe the organization's mission as to support and empower transgender individuals and their families while educating communities in South Dakota and the surrounding region about gender identities and expression. The individual who started this, the founder, executive director, her name is Susan Williams. I'm saying her name, uh, right? I don't know if this person is biological male or female at birth. I have no idea. But the name is a female name, Susan Williams. However, what's crazy about this and the reason I'm bringing it up is that Susan Williams identifies as a Christian trans activist. And guys, we've talked on this program, I feel like over the years, we've talked about how we we don't use the term Christian as much anymore. We we refer to what is biblical because unfortunately, Christian is is right people putting on a coat. It's just a coat they wear, and I identify as a Christian. Well, you don't really identify as a Christian. Jesus said, "If you love me, keep my commands." Right? You have to obey God's commands. You have to do what Jesus said. You have to try to live your life emulating Jesus to fall in that category of Christian. Now, with that being said, the surrounding good news is the contract was terminated, and it's also. Kind of an interesting side note that when the contract was terminated, Governor Nome's office they never came out and said, we disagree with the ideology, which I think was a, a political move. They just cited there were several things in the contract that this group violated, several legal things they didn't fulfill their end. And so this this project that was supposed to happen actually right about now, the middle of January, uh, they will not be able to do that contract terminated because they didn't meet some of their end of the legal agreement. Well, Ultimately, whether or not Governor Nome's office really supported this and then got pressure, I don't know. But the good news is there was pressure and this was stopped. And so this organization is not doing a presentation in front of families, trying to get kids going along with this movement. And one of the things, guys, we have seen more and more and more is as families are getting involved 
whether it be in local communities, whether it's with the city council, whether it's a school board, as families are getting involved, the positive pressure is putting a stop to some of these things that have been going on unchecked for years and in some cases decades, depending on the situation. It's incredible news that people are waking up and putting positive pressure in the right direction and great news that now you are seeing states that arguably because of the pressure, they they reviewed the contract and they're like, oh yeah, there's violations, let's cancel that contract. They could have looked for reasons to keep the contract there. Instead, they found reasons to cancel the contract. That is good news that this contract was canceled in South Dakota. All right, good news out of South Dakota. Now, David, where are you taking us? Uh, New York. And interestingly, New York has been kind of disappointed in the Supreme Court's decisions on the Second Amendment. Uh, They would rather see fewer guns in New York rather than more guns. And so despite the Supreme Court doing what they're doing, Governor Hochul keeps looking for ways to reduce the number of guns, reduce the availability of guns, reduce ownership of guns or whatever. And so they came up with a a law there. New law says, hey, we are, even though the court says, the Supreme Court says you can have concealed carry, we're not going to allow concealed carry in sensitive locations. And so she says you can't do concealed carry, for example, in places of public worship, churches, et cetera. And so they go through and and as they do, they said, well, here's what the Supreme Court says, but we're going to whittle away at every edge we can to try to undermine that decision. So obviously this ends up in federal court because you're saying you can't conceal carry after the court said you could conceal carry and you chose churches as a sensitive location that we don't want guns. And I love what the federal judge said on this. Uh, It's federal judge John Sinatra. And he wrote in the ruling, he says, well, this is an order you gave for private property. Church is private property, doesn't belong to the state. And so you have given order here for private property. And Judge Nordy, he said, well, other private property owners, such as proprietors of hair salons and retail stores and shopping malls and gas stations and office buildings and countless other private actors boasting secular activities, it didn't apply to them. So you just chose one private location, which was churches, and said it didn't apply to them. Then I love his line here. He says, by disarming places of worship, but allowing secular businesses to make their own decisions about firearm carry, New York has targeted religious groups and made them uniquely defenseless. I thought that's a great line. You've decided to make churches the most defenseless group in New York. You're not going to allow them to have concealed carry. Other private places can't, but not this private place, the church. And, and the pastor who brought this this case, bless his heart, I love the fact that he said, look, he said, I've got a moral and a religious biblical obligation to defend my parishioners. In John 10, Jesus talks about the hireling and the shepherd. And the shepherd is one that when he sees the wolf coming, he will get between the wolf and the flock and take out the wolf if he needs to. And he said, look, I've got a biblical mandate to protect my flock and use every means I need to do to be able to do that. So kudos for the pastor that was willing to bring this case. And then the federal judge that made it really clear that, hey, New York, you and I thought it was great that he pointed out that targeting churches, this is religious discrimination on the Second Amendment. And I think that's the first time I've heard religious discrimination associated with the Second Amendment, but a great decision out of New York. All right, man. We've been South Dakota, New York. Tim, where are we headed next? Well, this one's going to North Carolina to Duke University Hospital. And this one is is something that's not resolved. Uh, it's something that is actually a prayer request, but there is good news in the midst of this prayer request. And this is dealing with a 14-year-old. I'll read the title of the headline first. As parents sue Duke Hospital for denying kidney transplant to 14-year-old girl who refused COVID vaccine. And the short of it is the 14-year-old daughter 
she's been going to the Duke University Hospital since she was 11 years old, or at least we know at 11, the Duke Hospital, the Duke Medical Professionals, they diagnosed her, her name is Yulia, with Senior Loken Syndrome. And significant enough that she has to have a kidney transplant. And so for two years, they have been treating her. And she did everything with the hospital. She gets in line for a kidney transplant. And then she's fifth in the line. They, they've already taken thousands of dollars from the insurance company, from the family. Duke University Hospital, and, and, and that the paper says allegedly, so we'll say allegedly, but this is what the lawsuit claims, is that Duke University came and informed the family that they would not be able to complete the transplant until Yulia, who was 14 at the time, until she was fully vaccinated and up to date with the COVID-19 vaccine. And the family said, we're Catholic and, and that goes against our faith and we can't do it. And so Duke University said, then we can no longer treat you if you don't get the COVID vaccine, even though they've already been treating her up to this point, she's done everything needed. She's in line for kidney transplant. Her name is on the list, and they said they're not going to do it. Now, th- th- this is number one why there's a prayer request, because this has not been resolved yet. And so for everybody listening, her, her name is Yulia, uh, and we definitely want to keep Yulia Hicks is her, her whole name, but we want to keep her in prayer um, that, that GABA intervened. She's in stage five kidney failure, according to this article. But the good news is, and, and this is where we have to start recognizing as individuals here in America, we have to start fighting back in these battles. And and one of the things that we've heard from so many of our religious liberty attorneys over the years is that we win as, as people fighting for religious liberty, that the, our cause, our side, we win almost every one of these battles when we have people willing to stand up and fight. And, and I want to applaud the Hicks family that they are willing to buck the system that they're holding by their religious conviction, saying, no, we don't want to do the vaccine. That, that, that violates our religious belief and faith. And I know there's some people listening right now that the vaccine did not violate your religious belief and faith. That's fine that it didn't violate your belief and faith. But we want to stand with and support people that have different religious convictions, recognizing the importance and significance of religious liberty, not causing people to violate their conscience. If people need a refresher, go to 1 Corinthians 8. Go read that again and read what Paul said about people whose conscience is different than yours and the fact we're supposed to respect it even if we think it's a weaker conscience than ours. We still respect the right of conscience for individuals because the Bible tells us we work at our own salvation with fear and trembling. All that to say, I am encouraged to see families standing up against these big systems, against these big organizations, big tech, even now big hospitals, these big corporations, big organizations and, and they're not being coward into taking a vaccine they don't want to take. And, and that's incredible courage knowing that the daughter's life is on the line right here. And, and so this is, again, where I would encourage people, we want to pray in this situation for Yulia. We want to pray for the Hicks family. We want to pray that Duke University does the right thing. In the midst of praying for healing, we also want to pray that God gives them courage because it's only when we have people stand up and fight these battles that we ultimately can see things turned around and go the right direction. So that's the good news for me in this and obviously still a prayer request in the midst of this as well. All right, guys, we're getting close on time, but I think we can squeeze in one more. David, you got a, a good one for us? This comes out of Washington State and you got to back up about four years. It was not long after Donald Trump was president. He had been in maybe... Um, Eh, what is it, maybe a year or two at this point. And in Washington State, they were having a teacher's training, two-day teacher's training. One of the teachers came to the teacher's training and wore a MAGA hat to the training. And then when they got to the school, took off the hat, didn't wear it inside. 
But the principal confronts the teacher and says, hey, that hat is you need to use your better judgment. Well, obviously, it means leave the hat somewhere and don't even come on campus with it. Well, the next day, brought the hat again, didn't wear it inside. And the principal starts cussing at the teacher and said, what is wrong with you? You're a racist. You're a bigot. And goes into calling all these names because he just had the hat. And so not allowed to have it. And said, this is this is disrupting school, et cetera. So he files a lawsuit. And the amazing thing is, and Rick, you know this, what is the Court of Appeals for Washington State? First district, right? No. Oh, Rick. No. Ninth. So oh. ninth. Thank ninth. you, Tim. Ninth. The non-attorney got it. I can't it's, believe the non-attorney it's, got it's it. It's the Ninth Circus Court of Appeals. Come on, guys. Oh, Washington State. I thought you were saying Washington, D.C. No, Washington yes. State. Washington yes. State. Yeah. So, okay, I'll give you the that crazies. if you didn't think it was state. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll you give you that got the California one. crazies. Yeah, the California crazies. And the Ninth Circus came back and said, no, no, no. The First Amendment gives him a right to free speech, and we can't see that it did any disruption to the school. Uh, there were some teachers who didn't like it, but there were no riots. There was no, and, and so here the Ninth Circus is coming in, and they're actually upholding the right to free speech when it's free speech that probably the Ninth Circuit wouldn't agree with. But it's just good to see them uphold a constitutional right, particularly when it's really just a matter of this is a matter of political preference. This is not uh, this is not, you know, what we have in a lot of the other amendments where it's real cut and clear on Second Amendment or religious liberty. This is free speech with somebody I disagree with, but I'm going to support their free speech and their right to have this. And it's really good to see the Ninth Circus do this with something that is really surprising they would do that. But again, they upheld the free speech of this teacher. And this is back before all the January 6th stuff that they're trying to associate MAGA with insurrection. This is four years ago when none of that was going, and they simply didn't like him wearing the hat, and the Ninth Circuit did the right thing. Well, it's great to highlight the good news. That's why we do Good News Fridays. We want to encourage you, if you'd like more good news, to go to our website today at wallboulderslive.com. You can go in the archive section there and get some of the previous Friday programs, and then we'll hit more good news next Friday we really appreciate you as a listener. We thank you for your donations. Those of you that have gone to wallbuilderslive.com, when, when you give that money, that is literally an investment in freedom because it allows us to reach more people with the truths of the Constitution, of the Bible, of, of what we can learn from history to do better in our culture and our society. All of that needs to be amplified in this current culture. Truth is needed in the culture. We're bringing that in this program and through this program. And so when you donate, it allows us to reach more people, both with the program uh, but also all of our other uh, you know, programs at Wild Builders Live. So not just the radio program, but the programs like our pastor's trainings, our, our youth leadership trainings, our legislators' trainings, all the things we're doing to restore this constitutional republic. You get to be a part of it when you donate at Wild Builders Live. So thanks so much for doing that. also want to challenge you to start a constitution class in your home or at your church. We call it Biblical Citizenship in Modern America. It's a fun class to host. It is totally free for you and for your students. Check that out today at biblicalcitizens.com. Thanks so much for listening today. You've been listening to Wobblers Live. We stand undivided.